Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. In the second part of our Belonging episode, we talk to Catherine Riley, Professor of Urban Education at UCL Institute of Education and co-director of the Art of Possibilities. We discuss how a sense of belonging is important for the children and young people we work with and the staff who work in our schools. And we talk about how schools have built agency and belonging for their students. So Catherine, welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Thank you for coming on today. We're going to spend some time today just talking about your work on belonging. Before we get started with the questions, I just wanted to ask you, how did you get into this area of research? I've been interested in this, these issues for a long time without always knowing the language and wanting to know, you know, why is it at a really simple level that that most children go to school with a song in their heart and a belief in possibilities. And yet so many of them lose that along the way. And that for a visible number, which is at least one in four children, school can be a pretty miserable place. So I wanted to know why that was the case and what it felt like uh, and so on. And I, about 20 years ago, <laughs> I did a piece of research which is called Why Children Lose Interest in School and What We Can Do About It. Everybody saw the picture in a different kind of way and people wanted it to be different. And we did great policy stuff. And then very little happened. And I asked Max this question as well. But I was interested in how you define belonging. I, I would define belonging as that sense of being somewhere that you can be confident that you will fit in and safe in your identity. You could be who you are. And why do you think now more than ever we need to think about belonging in our schools? I've been looking at the story of what's actually going on in, in, in schools and across the 34 countries that are part of the OECD, this sense of not belonging in school is growing. And a recent data it shows this really, really sad story for us in the UK. Some improvements some improvement on performance, particularly in, in, in maths. But we are almost at the bottom of the league table in Europe in terms of children's unhappiness, sadness, sense of not well-being. So the, these are sort of huge issues. And then along comes the coronavirus. And the scale and reach of that is something that is beyond anything most of us have ever experienced in our lives. And then we have to think about, well, what is the impact on us? What is the impact on young people? Well, the coronavirus has exposed our vulnerabilities individually and collectively in society. And it's also exposed the divisions across and within society. And yet again, that those who are most disadvantaged uh, have found themselves the most exposed, the most vulnerable. 
for the impact of these extreme, extreme events. Yeah, and I think the impact of coronavirus will be huge on loads of different um, areas of our lives. But it gives us an opportunity to think about some things um, and pose some questions. How do you think it's going to change our thinking? My daughter works for an organisation called Hestia, so I'll make a bit of a plug to any of your listeners at the moment. And Hestia deals with some of the most vulnerable people across London, women suffering from abuse, uh, modern day slavery, people who are homeless. And you see how vulnerable they are and you look at the children and young people who are involved who in that and how exposed that they all are. So we have to think about these issues about belonging in an even more immediate way. It is no longer business as usual. It can no longer be, if it ever was acceptable, that so many young people are excluded from school. It can no longer be acceptable that those who are excluded or who feel that they are isolated seek belongingness elsewhere, whether it's through self-harming or whether it's through gangs. We have to think about these things in a completely different sort of way. But the other bit, and this really comes back to the belonging bit, is that it's also taught us that wisdom and compassion help build communities and that that leadership matters. We have to think about who our leaders are and what they do in a different way. And we have to think about our young people in a, in a very different way because they're our future. And they need to have to experience school as a place where they feel they belong, where they have a sense of agency. And you mentioned agency, which we're going to talk about a bit later. But firstly, what is the evidence about the impact of belonging on outcomes for young people? I, I was already writing an, a new book before all this happened, which is in this book, I'm pulling together a lot of, of my thinking and my work uh, about belonging. We know, we have such evidence now that a sense of belonging has a, a huge impact on student performance. Tim's is the international maths and science. Their recent data from last year is that there is a, a, a strong statistical correlation between children's sense of safety, physical and emotional, which is the key bit of belonging, and their performance in maths and science. All our children and young people should feel that school is a place where they belong. I think the simple thing is we are all in a situation where our world has changed beyond our ken, beyond our knowing. The only certainty that we have is that the future is our young people and that Every young person, every child who comes to school needs to feel that they can be themselves and that they can exert their agency. And how are you defining agency? Agency for me, this is how I define it, is that sense that what you do makes a difference. You see. I mean, lots of people have written about it in different kind of ways, but that's how I you know, you What you do makes a difference. Okay. A belief that you, can, that you can make a difference. Yesterday, my granddaughter said she wants to be a doctor, and I thought, there must be three-year-olds all over the place thinking, I'm going to be a doctor and do some good. Isn't that lovely? Secondly, you have to have the skills to do it. It's no good believing you can make a difference. And thirdly, you have to have the opportunities. So, fundamentally, 
schools need to be places that will develop young people's sense of agency, the belief they can make a difference, the skills and the opportunities to do it. If you are conforming to a set of school rules where you simply have to sit and not speak, I'm sorry, that's not agency. I can see there may be moments I've taught in really tough schools. There are moments when you have to say, right, we're just going to take a grip on things. But actually, we are doing a disservice to them and to the world if we don't take grip on that one. Agency is key. Agency is a key bit of belonging. And I know you've done some work around how leaders can be a part of creating the sense of belonging in their schools. And I guess thinking about the impact of COVID, leadership is something, as you've said, that's even more important now than ever. So the leadership book is really important, the leadership thing in in belonging. So I've, I've written a lot about that, leadership of place, the importance of leaders being um, placemakers, whose job it is to create the conditions for belonging. And what an enjoyable task that is to do it. I mean, it's not hard. I mean, people love doing it. And, and dear reader, please do read some of my stuff and look at the, the wonderful things and, and opportunities there are for leaders to make a big difference. But I've also been adding to that... Um, the notion of compassionate leadership. That's just another element. Compassion is a heartfelt response to what is happening. It hurts your heart. It should hurt our heart. It should touch our heart, what is happening to everybody. But it's not pity. It's actually thinking, okay, what can we do? So first of all, being a compassionate leader is being compassionate to yourself, which is recognizing what your own hurts and upset and worries and stresses are because if you don't do that first you're really not going to be able to do that with everybody else the where i am in my thinking now is as well as creating the conditions for belonging it seems to me that what leaders have to do is almost be creating a compassionate culture because when you do that what happens it frees people up if people are attended to everybody whenever schools come back in a full weight, will return with their hurts and worries and sadnesses and anxieties. Everybody, at every level. So let's just recognise that. And then you have to provide a space for that. And so being a compassionate leader is, first of all, being compassionate to yourself and then learning to listen in different kind of ways and learning to hear the stories of the children, of the staff, and that frees people up because it it frees the people up to be creative, mm. to be innovative. And that's what we're going to need yeah. in the future, isn't it? So it's kind of this message of if you're understanding and feeling the emotions and the difficulties of the people that you're leading, you're holding a bit of that for them. And then, as you say, that's what gives you the space then to think a bit differently rather than being stuck in your in your problem. You are acknowledging it, not necessarily holding it. And do you have examples of this in action? I was just reading through things, you know, some of my own, own work before, before this podcast. And one of the stories was a story of a child I met last year. And it was interesting because I was uh, in Middlesbrough and... I was in Sundsvall, which is in mid-Sweden, within the space of a couple of weeks. And 
I was blown away by two things. First of all, the similarities between the schools. So in 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 the school in Middlesbrough and in the school in Sundsvall, in mid right in the middle of Sweden, you had children from all over the world. You know, from Syria, from Eastern Europe, from more torn parts of the world. And then there was one little boy, Abdi, from Burundi. So over lunch, sitting around, very nice little lunch thing, all the teachers, this lovely Swedish school, sitting with the children. I said to Abdi, it was just a conversational thing. Abdi, um, tell me about Sweden, why do you like it? And he, he said, well, um, no one's fighting here. And when I go out of my house, no one's trying to kill me. Now, I, I was just blown away by that. And I think the point of that story is both understanding children's life, but, but we have to listen, don't we? When, when I come back, we have to listen to them. We have to listen to the stuff. We have to be listening. And interestingly, there is so much now on leadership about being present, show that. Children know when you're listening, teachers know when you're listening. So being present is listening to people. It's not necessarily carrying everything. It's listening to them, letting them speak it, and then that frees them up to be able to move forward. And how difficult do you think it is for these leaders in the classroom, in the schools, to create these conditions for belonging if they themselves don't feel like they belong in the school? You just can't do it. Um, children are so astute. They know, don't they? Children know. I mean, I've done research years and years ago when I did my PhD, and I remember some children, you know, saying to me, "Oh, you know, um, you know, Miss Anza, I mean, she's not the greatest teacher, but she has she has an awful time because they they are always going on at her, meaning the senior staff, and the children recognise all of that." Just before, again, the, the 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 coronavirus sort of created the lockdown situation, um, I, I with colleagues, I've been doing some work for the National Education Union. We'd identified a number of schools where we thought that the belonging thing appeared to be working, i.e. schools in really challenging context, but seemed to be really doing well in lots of different kind of ways. And in that, we talked to the children and we talked to the staff. Now, the staff thing was just, riveting actually really talking through what did it feel like to be attended to and to belong and even simple things in one of the schools I was in on a Friday quite a lot of the staff leave uh, by rota leave a bit earlier and all the schools together in this big assembly so they don't need quite as many teachers you know the practical things are that those schools where belonging works where teachers feel they belong they stay there these schools have no recruitment problems and I remember, as one, and as one teacher said to me, it, it means you invest in innovation. So if you know you're going to stay in school, you think, you know, that will be a really interesting project and it will take me a few years to do it, but, and I can, but you will do it. So the benefits for teachers and their professionalism and how they think about it is, you know, are incredible and their sense of agency. Yeah, it goes back to what you were saying before about freeing up people to, uh, to be innovative and to try new things because they feel settled and they feel safe. Of course. And that also, that there has to be connected, that the teachers feel they're part of the environment, that, that the children feel they're part of the environment. They feel really connected. And there has to be kind of consistency in what, in what schools are doing. And 
I think, leaders, I've got to say, what are the most important things that we can do in this school when we all come together? And actually, create a sense of belonging and a compassionate culture seems to me the number one and other things will flow. And I think that looking after yourself first puts you in the best position to do that. And it's, it's cyclical, isn't it? Because those schools that maybe don't take that approach and don't say what's important to us about feeling connected and just focus on getting the right results or the academic progress, then that's when the teachers feel more stressed in those kind of situations and then they can't show compassion towards themselves. And so you're stuck in that cycle that's hard to break. And, and potentially this gap and time to think and time to come back as you say, with the world being completely different, it's maybe an opportunity to ch- change some of those cycles as well, break those cycles. Yeah. So you spoke about agency being the belief you can make a difference, the skills to, and the opportunity to. That links nicely back to what we've been saying, because actually, when you look at it like that, the skills to make a difference, that also shows that need to not just focus on the academics, because sometimes we think the skills that we should teach a child or young person in school need to be very academic, but there's so many other skills that school is teaching about how to connect, about how to be in a group, about how to support one another and all those things. Absolutely. In the last really big study I did, and that was published in my Leading for Place and Belonging, Researching to Make a Difference, I'd done a lot of stuff before that on place and on belonging, but I wanted to really, really understand what does it feel like? Um, but also, how do you create the conditions for belonging? In this project, we brought together young people. So we had half a dozen schools, um, nearly 40 children. We trained them to be researchers. Youngest children were at 9 or 10. The oldest were 15 and 16. We also trained newly qualified teachers to be researchers. And what were they were researching? A fabulous question. And so... I would encourage you all to take this question. The question is such a brilliant one. Is this school a place where everybody feels they belong? And if not, what are we going to do about it? It's a fabulous question. To begin with, the, the teachers, the NQTs, were like really nervous. They go, oh, we've got to mark class, we've got to mark this, we've got to do that. How can we possibly research? And they were a bit you know, panicked about it. And we're going, no, 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 no. All you have to do is focus on the children in your class and you're going to find out who are the insiders and who are the outsiders? Yeah, it's a really fascinating and exciting study you did. And listeners can go on the Art of Possibilities website to find out more about that. And I really like the idea that it built agency for the NQTs and for the young people. So could you give us some of the examples that came out of the research? So one of the schools, most of the young people were recent arrivals to the UK. So their slightly nuanced research question was, how good is our school at welcoming newcomers? Now, they were all newcomers. Most of them, when we started, their fluency developed over the two years. So this group of predominantly young arrivals to the UK researched that question. They worked with the head of the school and they developed the school's policies on welcoming and belonging. They translated that into, I think it was 13 languages. They went around training other people, young people to be researchers on belonging. They uh, helped the school set up a kind of 
a cohort of young people who were looking after other young people and so on. There's extraordinary sense of agency of what they did. And I imagine there's so many skills, like we were talking about before, that the children are developing personally as they do this kind of project. What kind of skills did you see them developing? What do you get as a researcher? You learn to work in collaboration. You learn to think more uh, analytically. Um, You learn to manage data. You learn to think about... I mean, there's so many things. You learn to collaborate. If you're shy, you learn how to be a researcher and go and interview other young people. One of the primary schools we worked in, we trained their student researchers who were aged 10 to use drawing as a methodology and to use a drawing exercise with younger children aged 5 and 6. And that was just incredible what they saw and what they did and their, and their reflections from it. There's one, it's in one of my books, a wonderful drawing. And a child has done this drawing and she's obviously had a really, really miserable time in the playground and someone's yelled at her. But then there is this reflection from this 10-year-old research, which is something like, I was thinking about this child and I was thinking, if she went back, into classroom after this has happened to us, she would feel really sad and she wouldn't be able to learn, would she? Now, this this is a 10-year-old. So you think about her reflection, her learning from doing that activity. And all of these examples are really hands-on, really practical and really meaningful, actually, for change within the school. It's not, oh, you know, we're a belonging school, you know, let's have a tick box and we're going to have it start it it's a process and it's ongoing because it's always different children and different staff and different things but truly um I have never been in a school or worked with a school or I do loads of conferences and events whatever once people begin to think about these issues they get really hooked so maybe there's one thing I should leave you with okay so I would encourage you all if you're listening to stop for a minute and think about your time in school. Close your eyes if you want to, and you're saying, does she mean primary, does she mean secondary? Whatever comes to to mind. And you think, okay, how did I feel in my school? Did I feel that I belonged? Did I feel really good? Did I feel really connected there? So think about this as a series of traffic lights. If you felt that you really belonged and it all flowed beautifully, you're green, okay? And you probably have lovely thoughts and you might think about some of your friends and some of the things you did. And that might give you a nice little glow. So let's say you're amber. You're kind of in between you and that sometimes you felt you belonged. But quite often you're on the sidelines looking in at things and you didn't kind of feel so comfortable. Um, Maybe you were from a family that was on the move. Maybe you went to a different school uh, every year or... Maybe your family were recent arrivals from a different country and they didn't understand the rules of the game, but quite often you're on the sidelines. So you're a kind of amber person. And then for some of you, if you think about your school time, maybe you were red. Maybe you really didn't feel you belonged. Maybe you were really excluded. Maybe you were bullied. There may be all sorts of things um, happened to you. So I would encourage you all to think about your own experience. We all bring what we are and who we are. That's who we are. And if you had a a fabulous, green, warm, lovely experience, then you think, wow, yeah. 
I just I want I want that for everybody else. If your experience was an amber one, then you think, okay, I was on the sidelines. What would have given me the space to be in more green situations? And if you're red, you think, how can we change this? I know how horrible it was for me. What can we do about it? So think about your green, yellow, red, and then add a flashing warning light, which is the coronavirus, and then think, wow, we add that on top of it. Just think what that means. But actually, the actions of all of you listening to this will make a difference. How you meet and greet those your children, your young people, how you speak to them now on the phone or online, how you meet and greet them when they come back is so important and so profound. And that's what we have to remember. A really powerful exercise. So Catherine, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You'll find links to the Art of Possibilities website in our podcast description. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum and you can email us on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.